Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show for Monday, December the 14th. Can you believe that tomorrow marks three years since the bodies of Barry and Honey Sherman were discovered? Last week, more documents were released by a judge to uh, Kevin Donovan from the Toronto Star. He's their chief investigative reporter, and he'll tell us what these documents reveal. That's coming up next, but first. Anthony Dale joins us on the line right now. Anthony is the president of the Ontario Hospital Association. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning. Earlier on in the show, we were talking about how the message just isn't getting across. I, I think one listener called in and said, well, we got to stop saying that because the message is out there. People just aren't listening to the message when it comes to safely social distancing. So if that's the case, I wanted to bring you on the show to just give us some ideas of uh, what the situation is looking like provincially in our ICUs. Well, I can't explain it any other way other than to say the hospitals of Ontario are sailing into a hurricane and the situation is extremely serious. It's so serious that last week the uh, hospitals of Ontario, the physicians of Ontario, uh, nurses of Ontario and the respiratory therapists of Ontario all issued a single uh, unified statement begging people to uh, stay with the public health measures like physical distancing that uh, flatten the curve in the first wave to stick with those uh, those things over the Christmas holidays, over Hanukkah and the break. Because if people do gather, if they uh, meet with their families or friends and it's unsafe, we are going to see uh, unnecessary death and uh, terrible lifelong uh health damage to uh, to many more people in this province and it's something that we can avoid right now yeah no i was just simply going to say right now our intensive care units and our hospitals are uh the number of covid19 patients in it in them right now are rising very very rapidly and it's it's absolutely crowding out life-saving uh care in many communities already in uh, parts of the province I had a listener ask me uh, last week why the number of COVID patients in uh, in the ICU would affect the rest of the hospital. Can you um, speak to that? Absolutely. You know, intensive care units or, uh, you know, you can generally call them critical care because there's different kinds of uh, intensive care units, but they're the most uh, complex and sophisticated health services that you can have and there's a fixed amount of uh, beds, of equipment, and above all, of people. Uh, right now in Ontario this morning, there are about 1,700 people in intensive care units across the, the province. And uh, about we will hit about 300 of those patients having COVID-19, uh, I would expect, within the week. And what that means is uh, people who need cancer care, people who need cardiac care, people who even need organ transplants, they won't be able to get the care they need in a timely manner because the COVID patients who do have, uh, in most instances, uh, life-threatening health conditions, they need care too. There's just not enough people to care for such a surging number of, of, of patients, both COVID and all other kind of health conditions re- requiring critical care. Is that, is that because uh, the post-op goes into critical care quite often? Well, what what happens is uh, uh, life-saving care 
it can be uh, highly variable. It can be of all, it can be long, it can be short, but above all, there's just a limited amount. And what we have to do is protect access to that critical care at all costs. If we don't, it means that people simply won't get access to the care they need. So for people that are waiting right now for hip replacements and things like that, I know that because we are of our first shutdown, everything has, uh, you know, elective surgeries were canceled, postponed. And now we're behind the eight ball. We're trying to catch up and, and it's difficult to do, especially because we're in a second wave here, Anthony. For people that are waiting for hip replacements and things like that, you know, can you speak to their quality of life and how it's threatened as well? Absolutely. If you need if you need a hip replacement, if you need a knee replacement, if you need uh, heart surgery, if you need uh, different kinds of uh, cancer surgery, your your quality of life is permanently changed. And uh, the evidence is suggesting, especially from the first wave, that if for certain kinds of, of uh, procedures, if you didn't get access to them, there are people who have died because of it. And it's also avoidable if only we would just uh, stick to the public health measures like physical distancing and washing our hands that uh, that flatten the curve in the first place. That's the terrible tragedy of of a, of a pandemic. Some people think, including on social media, that really what's the big deal? Uh, mm. It's it's a few hundred people in in uh, in hospital. Uh, our hospitals are so large, they're so big, so sophisticated. How can that uh, have an impact? Well, in the first wave. 150,000 procedures were canceled. So we're trying to catch up on on all of that backlog. We're trying to keep up with uh, people's needs today. And now, of course, we're fighting a worsening pandemic. And that's why we're so worried. Is the COVID localized to uh, particular hospitals or is this a problem that we're seeing across the province? Oh, it's growing across the province very quickly, unfortunately. Uh, right now, in communities like Scarborough, uh, Brampton, Mississauga, Orangeville, London, Windsor, uh, Hamilton, we're seeing hospitals really struggling to uh, to keep up. And what's also happening is uh, is uh, we're seeing outbreaks of COVID nineteen in the hospitals themselves. Yeah, and that's making that's making matters even worse. In at uh, London Health Sciences right now in London, Ontario, uh, the entire medical uh, program has been closed uh, for some time now to fight a very serious uh, outbreak. And they've actually, it's its an organ transplant center and organ transplants have been significantly disrupted uh, out of London as a consequence. So it shows you the, uh, the unintended uh, consequences of COVID-19. It's a domino effect. It is absolutely domino effect. And right now those, the, those, that, that uh, line of dominoes is uh, falling over at uh, accelerating speed. Um, can you talk about uh, just uh, can, maybe you can get through to the listener who called and, and was talking about that party and and the fact that, you know, how our Constitution allows us the the right to uh, to gather and freedom of assembly. Can you speak to what that attitude, you know, could lead to when it comes to our hospitals? Well, if that attitude is pervasive, we're looking at a full-scale uh, meltdown of our uh, hospital sector. That's if everybody chose to ignore the public health uh, advice of, of uh, medical officers of health. And that's obviously what's not uh, happening. We're seeing many people continuing to comply, and we're so grateful for that. But 
Um, it is it is true that if uh, people choose to think only about themselves, if they say, "I want to do this and it, I want to do it at all costs," there is there is a, a punishment, if you will, or a cost for someone else, and that's what makes fighting a pandemic so hard. It's really about what everyone has to do as a as a collective, as a society, as a as a people of Ontario to protect uh, a small number of people, but the small number of people, it means life and death. And that's the truth. These are people who are your friends, your neighbors, your family members. They're often frail elderly or people with health uh, conditions that existed before COVID. And COVID cuts through them like a knife through butter. And we're seeing far too many uh, unnes- uh, people uh, dying unnecessarily, having long-term uh, effects on their health. And it's because of something that they didn't even do. It just was passed on to them without them even knowing it because perhaps someone somewhere just didn't uh, didn't care. Anthony, I want to thank you for your time. And I want to also uh, wish you and your colleagues uh, the best during this pandemic, because I just I really hope people have taken what you've said and, and really taken it to heart and walk away with a message that you need to rethink your Christmas holidays uh, for the sake of all our frontline health care workers and for the sake of our medical system that we certainly do take for granted. Absolutely. Our health care workers are, are, are the very definition of heroes. And right now they're working their hearts out to care for people night and day. They're exhausted. They're tired. And you know what? They don't they don't hear the nightly uh, applause or banging of pots and pans like they did in the first wave. And nothing, nothing is more debilitating to a frontline physician or nurse or respiratory therapist than thinking that nobody cares. And we do know that, of course, people care, but it's the exceptions and the people who maybe choose to uh, uh, voice that the, the, the perspective that it's, that it's their rights above all, that that's the most debilitating thing. And I hope, I hope, uh, people think of the healthcare workers before they uh, before they act as well yeah, as and friends and it, neighbors. If you're going to be selfish, then keep in mind you might actually be doing yourself a great disservice because your operation that you might not know you need might be uh, put off in the future. Oh, yes. Or your, your moms, your dads, your grandma, your grandpas. Absolutely. I appreciate your time, Anthony. Thanks so much for sparing some. You're welcome. Cheers. Thanks. Uh, that is Anthony Dale, who is the uh, president of the Ontario uh, Hospital Association. Things are dire, folks. Uh, things are dire right now with ICUs. And so we have to get the uh, the message across and really take it to heart. Joining the show right now, Kevin Donovan from the Toronto Star. He's the chief investigative reporter who's been on this case from day one and doing an amazing job at filling in some of the blanks. C- Kevin, can you believe that this case remains open? No arrests three years later. Yeah, Kelly, it's uh, it's uh, it's astounding, uh, but these things do happen in time when somebody uh, does something like this and does it in, a, in a, I guess, an elusive fashion. Now, last time we spoke, I believe there was a the cops had a person of interest that they were looking into. But last week, more documents were released to uh, the Toronto Star by a judge. What what did you learn from these documents? Well, we learned a lot. Uh, this is part of our ongoing challenge of sealing orders on, on search warrants. And what was released, the uh, information from the first uh, two months of the investigation. So so pretty dated information, but new to all of us. 
And so we learned that uh, a lot of details about uh, uh, how the bodies were found and to some of the terrible drama of that, that scene. But what, what I, I have in the story in the, in the Toronto Star today deals with uh, something that I think is very important. Uh, the number of uh, sort of a perfect storm that, that occurred in the 36 hours between when they were killed and, and when their bodies were found. And what we see is that uh, they... Um, the, the personal assistant that worked for Honey was always with her every day. She's given uh, two days off, so she's given the Thursday and Friday off. The, the, they're killed on the Wednesday, they're found on the Friday. So she's not around the house on the Thursday and Friday. Uh, the Shermans, uh, a, a very close friend of Barry's who worked with him uh, every day for 35 years, Jack Kay, he's away in uh, New York. Uh, for uh, something that Honey had actually arranged. Uh, and then we have no special events on the Thursday or Friday for the Shermans at, at all. There's just very little thing uh, going on in their life. And, and we also learned that, that Honey had no passwords on any of her devices that she used to schedule events. So anybody who, who saw those devices could just pick them up and figure out what was going on in, uh, on in her life. Wow, that's incredibly naive, isn't it? It is, but that's not uh, unusual. Uh, it's a, a small story from the search warrant documents. Uh, she just could never seem to get Netflix uh, working, and and uh, and her. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I have to laugh just because I relate. Yeah. It's like, what was my password again? No, but that's but but you. I mean, I'm not sure if you're a, a, a billionaire. Maybe not, but she was, and so what Honey would. Uh, do is get people to come over the house from for free to try and and get things to work for her and she also this is from my, from my book but but it's mm-hmm. instructive as well her you know, she's got this army of personal trainers that are coming in and out who are always doing things with her and by the way none on that thursday uh when their bodies were still just you know lying there but uh, whenever she gets a hole in her 20 year old workout shorts uh she sews them and she sews them herself i mean they really mm. were um, I, un- remarkably un- unusual for billionaires so you're suggesting or or raising the question in your Toronto Star uh, article, which goes through the timeline leading up to when their bodies were discovered, mainly between Wednesday and Friday. Um, you know, you start at Saturday, December the 9th and move all through so that we can see how busy they are, just to get an idea of what their lives were, were normally like. But um, you're raising the question, did the killer or killers have intimate knowledge of the Sherman schedule? Because it, it allowed for the, the two days after the body... Uh, after the murders for the bodies to be left undiscovered. Yeah, that's right. And also leading up to it, and I'm not casting aspersions on, on anybody, but there were there were plans for, uh, it was Hanukkah. Hanukkah was just starting that uh, that week. And there were plans to have uh, an event at one of the uh, the children's houses. And, and uh, you see the quite normal emails that we all have going back and forth. Or should it be on this day, this day? Uh, at one point, it's even going to be on the Wednesday uh, when the murders take place. And then if that had happened, then Honey and Barry would have been elsewhere but but then at honey's suggestion they changed it to the friday which led to this terrible situation where uh on the, the friday when uh their bodies are discovered uh, there's supposed to be a hanukkah event at the at their daughter alexandra's place uh but in fact everybody's gathering there to to, to mourn the loss of barry and honey wow 
I just I can't even imagine. Um, so you've you've raised this question. Is this something the cops have been looking into? Do you think the person of interest is uh, possibly someone that either worked for them or, you know, was was connected to someone that worked for them? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know who the the police have said, by the way, after that original story that they have uh, numerous persons of interest. And mm-hmm. and just by way of explanation, that persons of interest uh, that they're referring to could be people who the family members or friends had said, you should look at at this person you should look at that person and if you if you think back to three years ago there were all sorts of names that were thrown around and so those that does not just because somebody says somebody's a person of interest doesn't mean the police believe that and so uh but i do think that, that so the police have i mean i'm looking back in time at this the police had from the very first month all of barry and honey's emails for example and uh so they will know all sorts of of things one thing i, I learned just uh, uh recently was that barry uh had that december a difficult cash issue uh even though he had this billion dollar company he was going to pay more than a half a billion in january for a patent case that he'd lost that's not unusual for him but he was going out to various people and saying, you know, I need some some money back uh, from these loans to pay for that. So, so there, there's I, I've always believed that it's financial. Uh, mm-hmm. The police have said that the estate of the Shermans, uh, who got money or who was supposed to get money, uh, is embedded in their in their investigation. And uh, the police, uh, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people were speculating online there might be an arrest because it's the the anniversary. I don't think that's the case, but I do think that the police have said they've got something that they're doing over the next few months. And uh, so I'm in my mind thinking that the March or April, we, we might hear something. But that's Kevin's speculation. Kevin, do, are, are the, do the police get frustrated with people, especially like yourself, who are really interested in the inner workings of what's going on with this case? Like, what, I know that, um, you know, some people have argued that we shouldn't release the documents. So how do the, have they ever voiced anything to you about the fact that they are, you know, a bit uh, perturbed? Well, I, I mean, I think you only have to look back. I'm sure they are perturbed, but you only have to look back at cases like MacArthur and so many other cases, not just in Toronto, all over the world, where where the where the media, when they finally do take a look at something, they find there's been a lot of problems. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly in the Bernard the Bernardo case, there there was a, a, a serial killer, Paul Bernardo. There was a situation where the, the Toronto Star was doing stories about um, previous. Uh, uh, things Paul Bernardo might be involved in. And uh, I know the police were not pleased with that. But at the end of the day, we're here to put scrutiny on, on this case. And the judge, Justice Pringle, is the one who makes the rulings. And so we're making arguments and, and we lose a lot, but this time we won some. And uh, I, I, I trust the, the, the system to release what it feels it can release. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. I always appreciate uh, you, you know, keeping us abreast of what's going on with this story. Uh, unfortunately, closure is not something that looks like it's coming anytime soon. But uh, it's hard to believe three years ago tomorrow, the uh, bodies of Barry and Honey Sherman were discovered. Thank you so much for joining us and, and filling us thanks. in on the latest. Thanks a lot, Kelly.
Have a great day. That's Kevin Donovan, who is the investigative reporter for the Toronto Star. And I highly recommend if you want some, you know, more knowledge about what the timeline is, uh, what's the ins and outs of their timeline, take a look at Kevin's column today in the Toronto Star. It's a good one. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget, we broadcast three hours daily on 640 Toronto between nine and noon. Hopefully you can join us if you can spare some time. We'll talk to you then.